these 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost are what's known as the period of thy kingdom come. And that's the Archbishop's um, initiative to get people praying. Um, and uh, the theme of thy kingdom come is one that has uh, taken off um, all over the country, indeed all over the world. So I thought it would be good to talk um, in at least these uh, two or three podcasts now about what the kingdom of God really is. It's a central theme of Jesus, absolutely central to what Jesus came to do, but we can be a little bit vague about it. Jesus said, of course, that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. So how do we receive the kingdom of God? I thought I'd start with a story about a child who did receive the kingdom without even knowing about it. A little girl was suffering from a, a rare form of blood disease and her only hope was to receive a blood transfusion from someone with exactly the same blood type as hers. So after testing various members of the girl's family, it was discovered that her 10-year-old brother had a precise match. The doctor talked to him and gently, very gently, raised the possibility of his providing a transfusion for his sister. Your sister is dying, he explained, but your blood would be able to save her. Are you willing to give your blood? The boy hesitated for a moment and the doctor saw that he was anxious at the prospect, but the little lad agreed to the process. After the transfusion, the doctor went to visit the brother to see how he was. Tell me, implored the little boy, how long until I die? And only then did the doctor realise that his little patient had misunderstood, that he'd been willing indeed to give his life so that his sister might live. That little boy had received the kingdom uh, without knowing it. As I said, the kingdom of God has to be at the heart of the church's ministry because it was the key category of Jesus's teaching. It was his constant central message and it offered a new liberating framework for religion both then and now. In Mark chapter 1, you have the clearest, most succinct description of what Jesus' message was. It goes like this. After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, okay, what was he saying? This is what he was saying. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, so repent and believe in the good news. There it is, those three things. The time is now, the kingdom is here, so change how you approach life. At the centre of those three phrases is, is the actual content of the message of Jesus. One was preparatory, the other was, the third was uh, a consequence. But the central message was, the kingdom has come near. When Jesus went back to see his family in Nazareth, having set up home with Peter's family in Capernaum, he preached a dynamic sermon in the synagogue, quoting Isaiah 61. And it was his manifesto for a new order. It was good news for the poor, release for captives, recovery of sight for the blind, the year of the Lord's favour. 
and he expanded on this royal charter in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So this is why he came. It wasn't just to save souls. It was to proclaim a new world order, which he called the kingdom of God. And then in the rest of Jesus' ministry, he was constantly illustrating what that meant. His parables repeatedly started, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, you know. He approached his central theme from a, a variety of angles, but he always used um, this key concept of the kingdom. He used a lot of everyday images, you know, the kingdom of God is like a seed, the kingdom of God is like a lost coin, the kingdom of God is like a buried treasure, the kingdom of God is like a fine pearl, it's like a fishing net, it's like a wayward sun. But always that image, the kingdom of God or of the kingdom of heaven, was set before his hearers as the gift that he uniquely brought. So our task as followers of this kingdom Jesus is constantly to describe and illustrate what it's like to be part of this kingdom. We're inviting people to enter this kingdom, to explore it, to live out its values. Now, in some ways, of course, this word kingdom is alien. It's not a word in regular use today. And at its worst, it could be seen as patriarchal and oppressive, even. And it's undeniably true that when God spoke on Sinai, or when Jesus spoke of his father's sovereignty, it did didn't sound like democracy as we know it today. It might perhaps be easier to speak of the reign of God or the arena in which God's ways are made real. Because the kingdom exists wherever God's will <coughs> is cherished and obeyed, whether that be in a person or an activity or some social or political reality. Because Jesus cut the ribbon on the kingdom. He taught demonstrated and embodied the kingdom of God. In short, Jesus was the kingdom, visible in action. There are, of course, lots of distorted versions of the kingdom around, distorted versions of what the good news of the kingdom was that Jesus was talking about. They're kind of substandard versions um, of the good news of the kingdom. I, I just remind you of three here. They're in exaggerated form, but I want to make the point that we can, we can get it wrong in the way we talk about what Jesus really came for. So some people will say uh, the kingdom of God is about a kind of sin management uh, and a, a last-minute evacuation plan. So on this account, the kingdom of, uh, or the good news, is about dealing with our multiple wrongdoings. You know, the problem is personal sin, but Jesus died for those sins and his death does away with our guilt. So eventually we can be rewarded with heaven as our eternal destination. Here's another of the distorted versions of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is about modifying our behaviour. It's about a self-help programme. So... It goes like this. We get into a mess in all sorts of ways, but Jesus has given us new laws to obey, and the church is here to encourage or enforce those new laws. Because certain standards are necessary to continue to carry a membership card for the Christian club. 
I say I'm putting it in exaggerated form, but you know the point is there. So the kingdom is not about sin management uh, and a last-minute evacuation plan. It's not about behaviour modification, a self-help programme. Thirdly, it's not about God fixing things for me. It's rarely put as crudely as this, but there is a belief that if I do right by God, jump through the right hoops, believe the right things, behave the right way, God will make sure that bad things don't happen to me. A close relative of this belief is, is another, everything happens for a reason. So if things go wrong in my life, I must have stepped off the golden path, a belief that has caused untold emotional and spiritual damage. Now, all these are, are parodies, but they have enough truth to cause alarm. And if you think about them, the reference point for the good news in all of those is, is personal. It's, it's actually, in a sense, they're actually more versions of the big me problem of our society, where everything is about my personal welfare and my well-being. And the church gets contaminated by that too, this overemphasis, overemphasis on the big me. So what do we mean by the kingdom? If those are distorted versions of it, what do we really mean by the kingdom? Well, just like Jesus, in ministry, um, you know, all of us are involved in ministry, we're constantly trying to both illustrate and demonstrate the values and the dynamic of the kingdom. And so we too try to find adequate ways of describing um, what we most deeply desire and want to commend. Bishop Michael Curry, in the wedding of um, Harry and Meghan, a couple of years ago, um, was experimenting with different words for the kingdom of God, I think, when he suggested this. I'm going to quote from that sermon. Michael Curry said, Imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine neighbourhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce where this love is the way. Imagine this tired old world where love is the way. When love is the way, then no child will go to bed hungry in this world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside to study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room, plenty good room for all of God's children. Now that's what Michael Curry said, and I think it's a pretty fair description of the kingdom of God. A world where love is the way. It's a big picture, of course, but you wouldn't expect God's vision to be anything less. It's the big picture of how things should and could really operate. Most people want their lives to have significance and to be part of a larger framework of meaning and purpose. We want something more than our small lives, soft, overfull and passive. 
Jesus's invitation was to a larger field of significance and purpose, and he called that the kingdom of God. Our invitation, ultimately in ministry, alarming as it it may sound, uh, can be nothing less than that. So I've tried to offer today uh, some of those distorted versions of the kingdom of God about the management of sin and and getting out of this world to heaven, about um, modifying our behaviour and having a self-help programme, about God fixing things for me. And I've just offered you know, a first glimpse of what I think the kingdom really is. This is a world where love is the way. And this was the heart of Jesus' ministry and what he illustrated in in a, a hundred and a thousand ways. Tomorrow I'd like to go a bit further and look at um, this understanding of the good news of the kingdom in both its social and its personal dimensions. I'll see you then.